welcome to another episode of the Making Sense of Islam podcast. A few housekeeping points before we begin. Every episode is accompanied by episode notes that highlight everything I've referenced. So people, verses, hadith, etc. They're all in the episode notes, which you can find at makingsenseofislam.com. Most of the episodes are short form, so the notes are few. But when you listen to longer form episodes, the notes are meant to be a resource and an aid. Number two. I would really appreciate it if you could rate the podcast on whatever platform you use and leave a comment, hopefully positive. And number three, every Friday I send out a short email called Coexist Ruminations that shares what I'm working on and reading in my four focus areas. If you'd like to receive these, please sign up by going to makingsenseofislam.com forward slash Friday. That's it for now. Enjoy the show. I love holidays, celebrations, and important calendar events. And this love has grown over the years to the point that these special events are a major part of my year. Now, I've tried to pull together various literature, hadith, du'ats, etc. regarding all of these special days. So this Islamic year, and at the time of this recording, I'm referencing the year 1440, I will do my best to compile these notes and suggestions per event and upload an episode that can be used as a reference guide. So I pray for infinite blessings and happiness for all of these events for all of you. Take care. Hello, how's everybody doing? So today's episode is a continuation of the festivals and holidays series. Uh, You can find those uh, on the website uh, and they're marked uh, clearly under the podcast. You can find them in the episodes. Today's episode is dedicated to discussing the eve of the 15th of Shaban and the day of the 15th of Shaban. Shaban is the 8th Islamic month, uh, the 15th being the middle day of the month, the eve of the 15th being the night before, and then of course the following day. This is a really big uh, spiritual occasion. It's a day, or sorry, it's an evening rather of dua, uh, intense supplications, prayers, uh, you know, turning to God, and then the following day is usually a day of fast, if you can fast that day, and I'm going to go through all of that in this episode. This episode also will uh, have with it a blog post in which everything that I'm mentioning will be there, so this is a little bit different than the episode notes. It'll have an entire blog post because there's a certain du'a, a special du'a that you say in the eve of the 15th, so I have that there uh, in Arabic, transliteration and transla- translation, as well as a lot of the hadith sources that I'm going to cite that we'll discuss in the episode, they'll be there. So other than this time we won't have episode notes, I'll just simply link the blog post. So without further ado, the eve of the 15th. Now, there are a lot of hadith that talk about this, and I'm just going to mention three because there's no point of you know mentioning all of the different narrations and things like that. So the first hadith is the hadith uh, that's narrated by Imam Ali, uh, peace be upon him. Uh, who said, when the eve of the 15th of Shaban comes, stand its night in prayer and fast its day, for indeed God Almighty descends to the lowest level of the heavens until sun sets and says, is there not one who seeks forgiveness that I may forgive? Is there not one asking for sustenance that I may give? Is there not one afflicted with troubles that I may cure them? Is there not so forth and so forth until the coming of the dawn prayer? So that's pretty <laughs> pretty strong uh, hadith. Uh, by a, a very noble and great uh, Sahabi, may Allah be pleased with him. 
about the eve of the 15th. The second hadith is narrated by Mu'adh ibn Jabal, who said that the Prophet, peace be upon him, said, God glances at his servants on the eve of the 15th of Sha'ban and grants forgiveness to all creation except for those who associate with him or cut family ties. Uh, so then, you know, a, a reminder that when we enter into the 15th, the eve of the 15th, we want to make sure that, uh, not that anyone listening is associating with God, but when it comes to family ties. We want to make sure that our relationships are positive. We haven't hurt anyone. We don't owe anyone anything. And then we turn to this evening with repentance, with dua, and inshallah, it's answered. And then the third and final hadith that I'll mention is narrated by our mother Aisha, may Allah be pleased with her, who said that the Messenger of God, peace be upon him, stood in the night of the 15th, uh, stood in night prayer on the eve of the 15th of Shaban and said, In this evening it is written who will be born who will perish from the human race, and all actions are raised to God during it, and all sustenance is distributed during it. So this is the third hadith. Now, as I said, there are a lot of hadith with different wordings that revolve around these same meanings. So the reason I pick these three is that they're representative of, of the night uh, of the 15th, what happens. Um, before I get into interpreting these hadith or not interpreting but sort of discussing what they mean we should do on the eve of the 15th i just want to mention something very briefly about weak hadith and this is not going to be an exhaustive discussion of this topic i hope very soon uh, to put a full episode to discuss weak hadith but essentially when we say the word weak it just in normal language Weak is somehow negative. It's it's without power. It's deficient. It's lacking, etc. So some for some reason, when we say weak hadith, what sort of pops in the mind of a non-expert is that somehow that hadith is deficient, without power, etc. But the problem with that is that that's not what a weak hadith means. Weak is a technical term that refers to some sort of quote-unquote defect or illa that is found in a hadith that lessens its strength from sahih, rigorously authenticated, or hasan, strong, and makes it weak. It could be something in the text, it could be something in the narration, but the thing about the weak hadith, other than the fact that it doesn't mean weak in the normal you know, discourse of usage of the word weak, which is important that we remember it's a technical term, but other than that, if there are other hadith that are also weak, but talk about the same thing and have different chains of transmission or the wording of the hadith is slightly different, then those hadith collectively can raise the strength of that piece of information to, for example, Hassan, to a sound hadith, which is the case in the hadith related about the eve of the 15th of Shaban. Uh, and the reason I mentioned this is a lot of people will be like, oh, Bida, 15th of Shaban is nothing, this, that. But that's not true. Uh, there are you know dozens and dozens of hadith that speak about what we just mentioned, those three hadith that are representative. And all of the major hadith scholars agree that collectively their strength is raised. In addition to, the third thing to keep in mind is that when it comes to pious actions, devotional actions, the ulama use a lot of times the weak hadith to motivate us to do good works. And this is one of those instances. So if there's a bunch of weak hadith that help us do good works, uh, say good things, like say a good dua, you know, do a good act, then we take them, we use them universally, the, the scholars of hadith. So this is not like an issue of aqidah, this is not an issue of fiqh in which you know, we have to tighten 
the strength of the hadith. This is an issue of personal devotional action. Uh, what's wrong with spending the night in prayer and then fasting the day? I mean, that, that's all good stuff. So think of these hadith in that context. So what do those hadith tell us? You know, what do we deduce from these hadith? And again, a lot of what I'm saying is simply going to be in the blog post, so I don't want to you know, belabor it. A lot of times people talk about the eve of the 15th of, of Shaban as being sort of when, when like the destiny of the year is being distributed. And the problem with that position, or the issue I should say with that position, is that there are also similar hadith or similar beliefs that we have with Laylatul Qadr that takes place during Ramadan. So how do you reconcile between these two, just sort of to make the, adder, the matter quite simple, is that the Prophet, peace be upon him, indicated that on the eve of the 15th of Shaban, in some of the other hadith, that, that these directives are descended from the preserved tablet, what we call the Lawh al-Mahfud, to the angels that are responsible for carrying out these orders. So from our perspective, that descent is like a quote-unquote revelation or a distribution of those issues, you know, who will die, who will live, etc., of the of the coming year. But then they are actually further distributed, as it were, uh, to us in Laylatul Qadr. And, and in that way, you can sort of reconcile. And reconciling between what is apparently conflicting pieces of information in our primary sources is one of the meta goals of uh, our discursive tradition to start out with. So this is how the ulama try to look at things if if the if the piece of information is strong enough that we consider it a solid piece of information i.e. hasan sahih etc and there's a quote unquote apparent discrepancy then we try to reconcile the meaning so this is how we reconcile those meanings the second thing is that this is a night that we approach in very much the same way inshallah we will approach laylatul qadr when ramadan comes around in other words we want to be on our best. We want to be praying extra. We want to be definitely making a lot of du'a. I mean, as much du'a as we can. Uh, we'll come to that in a second. I mean, the, the hadith talk about up until right before the dawn prayer. And that's what God says in the Quran about Laylatul Qadr. Salamun hiya hatta matla al-fajr. Peace on that night up until the beginning of Fajr time. So that means all through the night. So it's, it's definitely, think of the type of turnout that mosques have on Laylatul Qadr or the nights that we assume are Laylatul Qadr, and how sometimes you know people go all night in dua, all night in tahajjud, prayer, etc. This is the same kind of attitude that we should have. So this is a prep, really, for the nights of Ramadan, and definitely Laylatul Qadr. The third thing is, in general, it's a night of remembrance. This is a night, in the series talks about celebrations, holidays, festivals. This is like a holy day. This is so it's not a night where we're going to party and you know celebrate the way we do an Eid. It's a night of really turning to God sincerely, uh, in in complete utter poverty. You know, Allah, we're, we're we have nothing. We need you. That kind of attitude we should have in that night when we're making du'a, asking God for His forgiveness, for His love, for His protection, for His guidance, all of those things. And the following day, the 15th, it's a sunnah to fast for those that are able to fast. And that's also good practice because Ramadan is a little over two weeks away uh, from the 15th of Shaban. So it's a good, a good time to, to, to get one, you know, one fast day out. So 
these are sort of what the text, the Hadith literature says about the eve of the 15th. And in general, the month of Shaban, the Prophet, peace be upon him, used to fast a lot of it. And he said that this is a month in which our actions are raised to God. And I like that my actions are raised to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala when I'm fasting. So that's sort of where the evidence of the fasting comes. So it's a good idea to fast. And what we can do is the Salaf, like the generation after the Sahaba, many of them would do this collectively in the Masajid, and many of them would do this individually at home. So if you're not part of a community that's going to do this collectively, you could definitely do this at home, depending on when the eve of the 15th falls. If it's on a week night, you know, maybe you'll do a little bit less because you have work or school or something the next day, but you can adjust uh, maybe you wake up a little bit earlier in the middle of the night before Fajr or you, maybe you stay up a little bit later. If it's on a weekend, you know, maybe you can go all out. Maybe you can invite friends over, a family. Uh, so both ways. Or if you know of a mosque or of a community that's doing it, uh, having a special uh, Nisf Shaban program, sometimes they're called you know, the Eve of the 15th of Shaban program, go and attend those. Be around, get in the mode. Like just like put it in the back of your mind, just like you go to Tarawih prayer in Ramadan, or you would go to a Qiyam prayer for the last ten nights of Ramadan. It's the same type of thing, you know. Really go to the mosque or go to these gatherings with that in mind. You know, I'm really going to ask and ask and ask and ask that night. I'm going to ask for forgiveness and I'm going to ask Allah to have mercy on me to heal all of our wounds, to help the community, to help the global Muslim community, etc. You know, go all out as if there's no tomorrow. Really have that attitude. That's how the Salaf, you know, did this. Uh, and they're the best example. Uh, and, you know, fasting uh, is also pretty straightforward, especially if we can fast as a community, break fast as a community. You know, it also sort of helps us uh, make the fast and keep the fast if we're accountable, knowing that we're all going to break our fast together. So that's sort of the eve of the 15th and the day of the, of the 15th. And uh, I have on the blog post uh, the famous du'a, it's very, very short. It's, it, it, it will take literally two to three minutes to read, so you might want to read it a couple of times. But I just want to point out that, that this, uh, this dua for the eve of the 15th is actually taken from two hadith sources that I cite, plus an additional, uh, some added dua that comes from a very famous uh, Moroccan mystic, Ma al Ainain. Uh, Allah be pleased with him. I also put that information there, and I also wanted the reason I'm mentioning it again in the in the podcast episode is that many times we find addition to supplications, additions to the du'a, and that itself is part of the Sharia practice that you can add to the du'a. Many of the Sahaba added du'a in prayer, and the Prophet peace be upon him acknowledged that. And you know many many other instances in which we can add. You know people can add. Scholars have added the uh, salaf added to this dua to that dua, and we sort of inherit that. And for the barakah of you know, the person that said that, we repeat it, and there's nothing wrong with that. But the, the majority of this famous dua of the nisf of the eve of the fifteenth of Shaban itself is taken from two hadith sources. So you know it's basically a sunnah dua. Um, minimum effort: read the dua like a few times. I would say. Uh, and like Surat Yasin, if you could, if you have work the next day, school, you're traveling, you know, you just you really can't do anything else. Don't let the night pass. My advice is not to let the night pass the eve of the fifteenth without without doing something extra. That's the point. I mean, I, maybe a minute ago I was talking about going all out in the mosque, but if if that's just too much or not practical, 
I don't want people to feel like it's all or nothing. No, whatever you do is good. Do it with the intention that I'm doing something for the eve of the 15th of Shaban. Even as if you fall asleep, just make a dua from your heart. You know, read this dua. I provided the transliteration to facilitate it and the translation. That's pretty much the discussion on the eve of the 15th of Shaban. I hope, really, really hope sincerely that, um, as I said in the introduction to the series of, of holidays, I'm, it's a really big thing for me. Uh, one of my main messages I hope people get is that it's very important, in my opinion, that we revive all of these uh, evenings, days of holidays, of celebrations, to keep what I call a liturgical calendar. I think it's very, very important. Uh, and I, I really you know, sincerely hope that everyone will, will be able to implement this stuff as much as possible. In addition to everything that I just said, there's a historical significance to the 15th of Shaban that I just wanted to also touch on. And that is, which is unrelated to the things that I just said, it's just, it happens to be that this is also the anniversary in which the Qibla changed from Jerusalem to Mecca. So the direction of prayer used to be Jerusalem uh, in the beginning when the revelation came to the Prophet, peace be upon him. But when the Prophet was in Mecca, he was able to face Jerusalem by facing the Kaaba. So if you stand uh, at a certain place in in uh, the, the Holy Mosque in Mecca, and you face Jerusalem, you can also place between you and Jerusalem the Kaaba, because it's essentially you know north of, of Mecca, Jerusalem. But when the Prophet, peace be upon him, went to Medina, he had to give his back to Mecca to face Jerusalem. And the Prophet, peace be upon him, he loved Mecca very much. It was his hometown. Uh, there are many hadith when he speaks to Mecca, he speaks to the sacredness of Mecca, how much he loves Mecca, etc. And uh, the revelation came, you know, God telling the Prophet, many of these verses are in Surah Al-Baqarah, that Allah, you know, sees that the Prophet, peace be upon him, is turning in the heavens, you know, really looking, you know, wanting the Qibla to change. So God changes the Qibla towards Mecca. And this happens in the middle of a prayer. The story is that a bunch of Sahaba are praying in this mosque, whether it's Dhuhr or Asr prayer. And then somebody came into the mosque in the middle of the prayer and said, oh, the Prophet just received revelation, the Qibla has changed, and they prayed the second two rakahs of that prayer facing Mecca, and that mosque is famously called the Mosque of the Two Qiblas, Masjid al-Qiblatayn. And the reason I think it's important that we remember that, there's like a few takeaway lessons. One is Jerusalem is a theme that comes up. It comes up in the Isra and the Ma'raj. So, not too long ago, if you're in Shaban listening to this, not too long ago we've talked about the Isra and the Ma'raj. That happens in Rajab, towards the end of Rajab. And of course, for many reasons, Jerusalem is a huge theme. Jerusalem is also the first of the two Qiblas. It's one of the three holy cities of Islam. Uh, and despite the political turmoil that the region finds itself in, it, we don't want to forget that it has a very deep spiritual, uh, religious um, meaning to the life of the Muslim, to the life of Islam. And and all we, all, all I feel we, really we can do is just pray for peace uh, for Jerusalem, uh, which I think we should always do. It doesn't you know cost us anything. It's not controversial. It, it's I mean, peace for everybody, right? Peace for all of the holy sites in Jerusalem, uh, especially our sites and our mosques and, and the churches and 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 the things that 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 we fear uh, might. Uh, perish one day. We ask the Almighty to, to preserve them for all all people, not just Muslims, but all people, all all religious sites. So I don't I don't want us to forget. Don't forget Jerusalem. It's part of the it's part of our history, and 
part of of our uh, sacred history as well. The other thing that I find very interesting about the whole thing about the Qibla is that this story about the Qibla changing in the middle of prayer. And I always think about if somebody came into the mosque in the middle of prayer now and said something, you know, huge like that, how would people react? And I think the reason I find that interesting is that that's the type of truth and honor that the companions had. So they knew that if a companion came to tell them something about religion, there's no way on earth they would be making it up. It's not even a possibility for them that they were making that up. And there's a very uh, beautiful hadith, the Prophet, peace be upon him, he says, Ara'ayta Shem said, you see the sun, like it, meaning as clear as the sun is, so should your, your testimony be. And that's the type of honesty that we're supposed to have. Now I feel when somebody comes in the mosque or you hear somebody in the mosque talk about religion, you know, you're always doubting. I don't, I don't know. That sounds sketchy. You know, that sounds weird. I got to verify. And this is, it tells us how far away we are from the mark. Uh, matters of religion are serious. Uh, you, you, you know, it has huge implications. If you believe in what we believe in, this world and the hereafter, then you will understand there are huge implications for lying about the Prophet, lying about the Qur'an. And unfortunately, a lot of people do, whether they're aware of it or not. I mean, I, God only knows, but it's serious. Um, so I think we should remind ourselves, myself, because I'm doing all of these uh, podcasts and episodes, all this teaching and speaking, so it's a good reminder for myself that this is very delicate stuff, and we need to make sure when we talk about it, when we pass on information, that we verify, that we check uh, our sources, we look to where we're, we're receiving this information, because this religion was only passed uh, from generation to generation by honest people, by, by honest women and honest men. Uh, just like the companions. And and I think when I think of the Qibla change and I read that hadith you know, every year, I just keep imagining what that must have been like uh, to believe. And it reminds me of the uh, the position of Abu Bakr, for example, Sayyidina Abu Bakr anhu, during the Isra and Maraj when the Quraysh told him, look, your friend lost it this time. Look at what he's saying. And he said, oh, if he says it, I believe it. You know, there's that there's absolute faith and honesty and sincerity. And I hope one day we can all be like that, to be that sincere and that honest in our faith. Uh, and when I say that, that's like a happy, liberating thought. That doesn't mean that Islam is like, everything is haram and I'm living a haram life and I got to stop everything that I'm doing. Islam is not like that. The reason people feel like that is that they have been given an Islam that is not honest, that is not true to its source. I mean, do you think the companions around the Prophet were miserable and depressed? No, they felt liberated. They, they talk about being liberated. That's how you're supposed to feel liberated, happy, easy, uh, awesome, uh, in the zone, optimistic. That's the kind of Islam that we want. So, I mean, maybe I'm going off on too many tangents, but I think people are, try maybe you can get what I'm saying is if you just think about that story, changing the Qibla, what it would have meant to believe that kind of information and the presumptions that you have when somebody teaches you. You know, when a companion was teaching another companion that didn't know something, they just presume that he's being honest. That's the presumption that we have as Sunni Muslims is that the companions are honest. Because they were. Uh, because they are the generation that the Prophet, peace be upon him, taught himself. And, and you know, they had companionship with him and they saw him and they, and they, 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 they were Muslim based on his direct instruction. So it's something for us to go back to. And we're very, very far very very far from that but i'm confident that we'll get back there so 
historical significance if you get to, if you're blessed enough to fast on the day of the 15th reflect a little bit about that reflect on that fasting day about about honesty about sincerity about an honest and intellectually honest islam not an islam that's made up not an islam that's fabricated not an islam that's distorted that you know just freaks you out all the time and makes you hate everything but think of an islam that's happy that's easy think about what it would have been like to be with the prophet peace be upon him uh, and how gentle and kind and merciful and beautiful he was and that's the type of islam that we want and that's what all of this podcast everything that i'm doing you know under the name making sense of islam is really dedicated i hope inshallah towards that uh, so some thoughts for the day of fasting anyway i hope everyone has a blessed eve of the 15th of shaban and i'll talk to you soon take care